This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 94 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, August 8th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode of XEP, I welcome Jay Lynn, the program manager for the Games and Online Harassment Hotline, on to discuss their efforts in improving the toxicity that can occur in and around the gaming industry for both gamers and developers. Preceding that interview, we'll be looking back on the week's rather light gaming news and answering several of your questions, including that about Halo Infinite. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness go to Mr. Ethan, at Apex Ethan on Twitter. Ethan absolutely made my day this past week when he tweeted to me, a D, or rather I should say he direct messaged me uh, over on Twitter uh, letting me know that my thoughts on Hellblade Senua's sacrifice led him to picking up the game and checking it out uh, and that he had just completed it. And messages like that absolutely make my day, make my week, and make this podcast worth doing. Ethan's now in intense anticipation, as are so many of us, for Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, and I, I'm just uh, thrilled, thrilled, or Senua's Saga, sorry, uh, that I was able to introduce somebody to a game that they really like. That's one of the best things about working uh, as a content creator outside the gaming industry, kind of on the, on the peripherals, uh, and I just so appreciate those kinds of messages. So, Ethan... Cheers to you. I hope that you uh, are finding more games that I'm able to suggest and that the community is able to suggest to you. Uh, But more importantly, thank you for the message, man. It really made me feel good. All right, let's get to some gaming talk. A rather light gaming news week this past week. In fact, it was rather doldrums in terms of news as we reflected on the passings of the Halo Infinite technical preview. We looked ahead into the Back for Blood beta, which so many people seem to enjoy. We'll talk a bit about that as well. Uh, And a few other things just of note, but no real like major bombshells dropping really in any of the big three industry categories uh, of Xbox, Nintendo, or PlayStation. Xbox, for its part, seemed to be basking in the wake of the Halo Infinite news as the beta season rolls on. Uh, Certainly we had Ainsley Bowden from the BitCast on to talk about Halo Infinite last week rather in depth and I really enjoyed that. We also kind of extended that conversation into Cast Co-op with Mr. Badbit as well. Uh, Cast Co-op, a a real passion project of ours, just a little side gig for each of us kind of in addition to our mainstay podcast that we each host. Uh, If you haven't checked it out, it's over on YouTube and it's available on uh, all your podcast services. I know Apple sometimes gives us a bit of a 
fuss, but cast co-op is, is definitely a fun one, a lot more humor uh, in there as we, we chastise and tease each other for sure, but it, it is a fun one. We just celebrated our 10th episode, which is kind of cool. Uh, moreover, celebrating our 100th episode of XEP in mid-September, I have actually, uh, speaking to it, I've already got interviews recorded all the way through episode 99. So you're going to have content uh, from game developers and voice actors all the way through episode 99, some of which I'm really excited to uh, share with you guys. I was able to uh, kind of get some embargo dates and and push some of these interviews uh, at various points for games that are going to be relevant to them at that moment. Other things uh, were kind of neat because I fell backwards into some insider information here and there. And that's always kind of fun for me because I'm not somebody that, as as a content creator... I don't leak information when I get it because it's so rare, right? Like I'm not a reporter um, and it would burn bridges to do so, but it always kind of makes me feel cool and important when I do bump into some gaming news uh, that is relevant to games that I like or things like that. So uh, in this case, it was, it was stuff related to, to Batman and, and Avengers and Spider-Man, which was always really fun and just kind of neat to see some stuff there. And, and uh, I guess that's all I'm allowed to say on that one, if I'm even supposed to, but whatever. It, it was just kind of a neat, kind of fun thing for me to do uh, these different interviews uh, and, and learn about each of these games. And, and speaking of that, if you haven't checked out the Death's Door interview from last week when Ainsley was with us to talk Halo, uh, we also talked to Death's Door and then had an interview with Acid Nerve, and that was super cool. Uh, Death's Door is easily one of my Game of the Year contenders. Uh, I know I mentioned him earlier in the show, but Ethan uh, just tweeted that asking, you know, for the show, is Death Store a game of the year contender or is it like not big enough, not AAA enough? Uh, and without a doubt, it is a game of the year contender. And uh, that question that he's asking about, you know, it not being AAA really brings up, I think, a worthwhile conversation that we've had before, uh, but is always worth reminding that uh, there was a time, distinctly a time, where you might separate indie from AAA in terms of game of the year contenders so that they got recognition, right? You didn't want them getting overlooked in the wake of something with more marketing or bigger budget. But we're entering a phase of gaming now, particularly uh, as a result of the pandemic, where indie games are really taking the spotlight because AAA games have been delayed. There's such a... uh, a heavy workload divided amongst so many people that uh, there's a lot of workforce slowdown and bottlenecking when you're work from home, right? When you, your servers are clogged, when it takes hours to download a build. Uh, and that is not something that indie developers have to contend with on the same level traditionally. There's always exceptions, of course. Um, and so I tend to, to lump them together for a lot of reasons, and indies are really shining this year. Uh, lest we forget, I believe it was this year that Cyber Shadow released at the very beginning of uh, 2021 and that was a great indie game that went into game pass and uh, the trend has just continued all the way through into death store and uh, it's really really fun to see in, in talking to some of these developers over the past few weeks that have released games like uh, like death store but also you know hero concept is a, a developer making a brawler called mayhem brawler which comes out uh, in like two weeks time hearing what they're doing they're making this comic zone-esque fighter uh, brawler game that's really neat to, to, I'm excited to share that one with you guys they're a studio over in I want to say Italy just just rocking uh, left and right they were not as impacted uh, by the pandemic as some of the bigger games this year and the same can be said for 
uh, gosh, the 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 Blightbound interview uh, that we did. They they are oh, that's not out yet. Um, but they, you know, talking to them, same thing, right? Like their schedule and whatnot didn't shift as much. Whereas a lot of what I'm hearing about AAA developments from games like ongoing games like Avengers and Destiny to games that are not yet out, Halo. Call of Duty, Battlefield, everything I'm hearing on those fronts, they were all massively impacted on various levels by the pandemic. And so that's a really kind of neat thing to see. Uh, indies taking the spotlight, I mean, not not studios being affected. I don't like that. Um, yeah, that's that kind of neat. And kind of to that effect, you're seeing a lot of games continuously be delayed. Small stuff like Lemnus Gate, which was going to be this month on Game Pass. Uh, that's, that got bumped into September. I know the PS4 title... Canna Book of Spirits, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, is bumped into September as well, uh, which is a shame. But also a lot of AAA stuff. We're hearing that Horizon Forbidden West is bumped into uh, into 2022, which is kind of a bummer for, for a lot of PlayStation fans. They're going to have kind of a dry end of 2021, uh, whereas Xbox was real dry at the beginning of 2021, just kind of based on release timings. And that can be tough, right? That can be real tough. And uh, I have to wonder what else is going to get pushed. A lot of the games that you're playing this year were supposed to be earlier this year or last year. Far Cry 6 comes to mind in that respect. Um, but I'm okay with all of that. I want games to be delayed so that the game is right for the picking and it's it's the right time to play it. Uh, as a an avid Avengers player of late, the game's in a great state now and it's really looking good for that Wakanda expansion. It's going to be the Taken King launch of that game. Um but man, it was a disaster when it first first came out, right? The campaign was fun, but it was just a disaster. And uh, I'm all about delaying games and, and not pushing them out ahead of time. You just get it just it's just bad, right? Like how good is Halo Infinite's reception based on that technical preview now versus what if it had launched in a broken and bad state? And and that's kind of a scary thing. Um, it is the beta season, right? Like Halo Infinite had its, its beta back for blood at the time of this recording. It is just kind of wrapping up its weekend beta with a lot of people from that got the code from Twitch drops or pre-orders. And general consensus around back for blood is that the gameplay is just fantastic. It's, it's really fantastic. There are, of course, little things they need to clean up and clear out here and there. Um, but all in all, Back for Blood seems to be a really great spiritual successor to Left for Dead, which is what you would expect and hope. Um, for those of you that played it, I'm, I'm seeing all good things. If you're having negative experiences, please tweet me and let me know. But everything I'm seeing on my timeline is is largely positive. The few critiques that pop up here and there are not necessarily related to gameplay, but more concerns over Turtle Rock's uh, methods of monetization, how they're going to be monetizing and gating different types of content through season passes and possible microtransactions, and a lot of that's not definitive or clear. Um, but I think people are fair to be cautious given the way Evolve launched with 48 different versions uh, and a lot of its content kind of gated behind different types of paywalls. That will be less of a concern for me when I get to Back for Blood, when it comes out proper, because it is going to be releasing in Game Pass, and that does change the conversation. Uh, should you be buying this game on other platforms when you can get it on Game Pass? What's the financial incentive there? How much content are you going to get in the base game versus what may or may not be walled off? Those, those things, uh, in many cases at the time of this recording, remain to be seen, but it's really encouraging to see that the core gameplay is there. A lot of people are having fun with it. A lot of people are doing right by it, and that is just... Just awesome. Uh, the, the other negative that I saw was of the, it reminded me of the kind of the worst ilk that can happen in gaming. And it was people nitpicking things like 
whether or not a piece of glass in the background broke when you shot it or if the fruit respawned or didn't respawn, things that like that. And those that are concerned about those types of experiences, those little meaningless, trivial things in the background of a level before they condemn it to being terrible game or whatnot, um, that's not why I play games, and I will not endorse that mindset. That, to me, represents the absolute opposite of what I want in a video game. I want to just celebrate the joy that I'm having, whether it's complete pixel art silliness or or super in-depth high-fidelity graphics and uh, whatever it is, I want to be part of the game, but I will not allow something silly like uh, a piece of glass not breaking or my reflection in a mirror not being perfect to to keep me from that great experience. I feel like that's no way to 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 live your life in general, but also no way to enjoy video games. Like what a what a silly piece of mind that would be. I mean, think back to some of those great games that we played back in the day. It was all about immersion and letting yourself feel like you were in it. I knew that I was driving around two or three pixels when I played Empire Strikes Back on Atari, but I pretended I was in the Millennium Falcon or I pretended I was in a snow speeder. Um, I know that the Falcon didn't fight snow speeders over on a uh, over on Hoth there, but I like to pretend that it did because I wanted to, and it was a video game, and it was fun, and that's why I play games, and that's really, really cool. Um, so cheers to everybody that's enjoying that. Feel free to hold me accountable on that Back for Blood monetization element. I would love to know more about it as we kind of approach launch, but it is less of a burden for me because of Game Pass, and I recognize that that's not the case for everybody. And I think a lot of others uh, in the community are fair to be questioning that. I feel like my man Todd Oxtra is thinking about it right now. Um, and that's awesome, right? Like, you got to be careful with that. You don't want uh, to make your judgment of a game without considering all the aspects. That said, how I plan to experience it is going to be via Game Pass, and that is how I'm going to consume it therein. Uh, speaking of... Betas, Riders Republic, I believe, is also getting a beta coming up, and that'll be interesting to see as well. I believe Riders Republic was also delayed into next year, speaking of that. And uh, I'm curious how that game lands. I know a lot of people are excited by it. I'm not happy, or I'm not like unhappy, but like I'm not excited for Riders Republic. I don't think it's going to be my kind of game, but it's the exact kind of game I would play if it was in Game Pass. And it's not. So it's like, all right. Right, maybe maybe I'm not looking to it. Uh, but there, it does remind me that there's a snowboarding game called Shredders that I'm really into and looking forward to. I'm hopeful to talk to that team when they get closer to launch, but um, that one's still up in the air. I'm not too sure on that one. But I, I love seeing people play betas. Betas are not typically for me. I might crack on Halo Infinite if it becomes available, um, but I'm not going through hoops to get it. Right, I didn't get into the tech preview, and I wasn't stressing it. There's a lot to play. Um, but I love seeing my friends enjoy it and kind of give me the feedback while I wait for the game proper. We'll see, right? We'll, we'll see. Uh, but they're not typically my mainstream bag. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we will move on. Several people were super kind and reached out and asked just how my trip to Disney was uh, two, three weeks ago, and I realized that in the last episode, I did not answer you, and so I apologize for that. The trip to Disney with Mrs. Ghost was fantastic. I really did enjoy uh, our time there. We went to Galaxy's Edge. We had a, a blast. I built a lightsaber. We rode some really cool rides, saw a lot of cool uh, VR types of technologies and whatnot. Uh, just for context, we were masked up almost the entire time. We are vaccinated. We did take precautions, but it was a fun and, and healthy trip, all things considered, uh, and one that I'm glad I got to take. During that experience, though, I tested out xCloud while at the airport, 
uh, with my Razer Kishi controller, and it worked surprisingly well. Now, I was always a pro- proponent, rather, and a fan of xCloud and its proficiency, but it was that much better than it was even two months ago, three months ago. And I played a good amount of, of, of Xbox via xCloud on that um, Wi-Fi that was free experience, and it was great. It, w- it was really good. I even played some uh, some good Halo 5. Uh, I will note that using the Razer Kishi for competitive play I less and less liked than I might have initially uh, over time. I think I'm I'm more inclined to say that uh, when a backbone becomes available or a grip that has a bit more thickness to it comes available, uh, who I'm going to to try and check that out because the Razor Kishi was gr- is just great for platformers, but uh, I, I think I want something a little with a little more heft in it. Um, I did not take an Xbox One or, or Series X controller with me and just mount it. That's not really... It wasn't conducive to that kind of, of trip, uh, but it was kind of cool. It, w- it was kind of cool to see uh, how well and how far along xCloud is coming, and that's a, a, a win. I'm also anxious to see where xCloud makes its break from Game Pass, and I think that's a year or two off at this point, right? Uh, right now, if you want to experience xcloud you need to be a game pass member cheers that's awesome go for it that's what it should be for now as microsoft refines the experience because there's a lot of devices they have to account for a lot of control inputs to to be aware of whether it's touchscreen controls a bluetooth controller a dualshock 4 something like a, an attachment some similar to a backbone or, or the razor kishi which is what i used um and i i recognize that for sure that said um in two years' time, I expect that technology to be moving right along, and I'm excited for it there uh, to make its full debut. But but my experience on uh, airport Wi-Fi was pretty darn good. I wasn't winning winning matches in Halo 5 well, but I was having a good old time for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, so cheers to that. Cheers to that for sure. Uh, let's see other silly stuff that I'm excited about. I was excited to see that Superman is coming to Fortnite finally. Like, we knew that from the Battle Pass, but he releases very soon. That's on the back of some pretty good DC content. And listeners, uh, long-time listeners will know that I'm a pretty big DC fan. One of my most anticipated games is indeed Gotham Knights. And right now I'm pretty starved for DC content outside of, uh, movies like Snyder's Justice League and, and James Gunn's Suicide Squad, both of which hit this year and, uh, were really good for what they were and I was I was really impressed with those um, but Fortnite's kind of been it where it's kind of been it in the gaming space where I'm getting my DC fix um, with the delay of with the delay of Gotham Knights and again I'm fine for delays that doesn't mean I don't want to play them right uh, I also hope more Batman games are in production and more DC games are in production on the Marvel side we're pretty pretty comfortable in the assertion that there's a Marvel fighting game on the way Marvel's Avengers is finally evolving to a state where it that it should have launched in, but it's finally getting playable. There's a few other Marvel things happening. I also know I bumped into some news about Spider-Man. It looks good. Um, but I'm ready for some DC love. You know, I'm ready for some DC love uh, over there for sure. And, and you have to think, 2022, we're going to see three different versions of Batman exist. Bat Batfleck. Michael Keaton and Robert Pattinson's versions of Batman will all be on display. And if you count the Titans version, that one too, it could be a good year to see a new Batman project like the one in Gotham Knights. So I'm hopeful that that spurs more in the gaming space from WB. Of course, a lot of changes happening for WB and WB games as well. Uh, So we'll see. We'll see, right? As a DC fan, I'm ready for more. As a superhero fan, I'm ready for more from everywhere, right? I want more Marvel stuff too, Uh, by far, by far. 
and here's hoping none of that stuff gets gated by uh, an exclusive ecosystem. I hated that Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 was on just Switch. I would have think I would think that would just crush it if it were on PS5 and Xbox Series X with crossplay. Oh goodness, that'd be cool. Uh, Spider-Man is its own conversation, a separate one. But I don't want heroes and major franchises to be gated away. I'm fine with exclusive first-party stuff, but but franchises that I feel belong to the people, I don't want that behind any type of console paywall uh, for my money. Anywho. All right. The next news story was rather quiet and not one I'm going to spend too much on. Bottom line, Activision is is under a lot of fire, rightfully so, as more reports come out of the way that Activision Blizzard was being run. Lots of former employees talking to places like the Washington Post and Bloomberg uh, that really make me feel very comfortable in my assertion that I'm not going to be financially supporting anything from Activision for the foreseeable future. Now, I've seen a lot of people make comments about boycotts and their effectiveness here and there, and I think that is absolutely fine. I've heard a lot of really great critical discussion points that are taking place uh, about just how effective boycotts are, uh, where and why you should be doing that, recognizing a bit of hypocrisy in the idea that you're willing to boycott a certain game company all the while using uh, a major smartphone like an iPhone or a, a Galaxy something or another. And recognizing that those there are a lot of injustices there as well. And I've appreciated a lot of those conversations. Nonetheless, in seeing more and more come out by Activision, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that I don't need to play their games right now. And I would like to see more change come out of what's, what's going on there. It's not just about Bobby Kotick being richer than God and taking advantage of so many employees. It's more about the cultures that those employees are going through. And we're seeing a lot more reports. Uh, that I'm not going to go into here because I just don't think it's the right place for it, but that is pretty damning, all things considered. I do see industry effects of what's happening here, I think largely for the better. Um, It's a shame right now if you're following Fulbright, which is the studio that made Gone Home, Tacoma, and a few others. Steve Gaynor, who was a fairly well-respected developer, has been um, or has stepped down from his primary position in Fulbright to kind of a, a more minor one because of toxic workplace environments that he was creating. No allegations of anything like harassment or, or physical touching or anything of that nature, but it was the, the environment that he was creating through micromanagement. And the gambit of, of harassment is a complicated one. It's actually one I talked to with, uh, I talk about with Jay Lynn in this interview coming up where they talked about the scale that things can operate and where the tolerance is. And uh, I asked some tough questions there. It was a pretty emotional interview, truth be told, one of reflection and refinement, I think. Um, but it it is absolutely fine for everybody to choose where their money goes accordingly. Uh, we need not vilify people that are excited to play Diablo 2 or the next Call of Duty or anything else, but make that decision from an informed place, right? If you understand where and how your money is being used, understand uh, what it's for and what it does and does not do, that's fine. There are some great arguments for why boycotting is silly. And I hear those arguments, and there are other ones that I think are very poignant for why you should uh, avoid certain companies' games. And cheers to anyone that's educated on the matter and then from that education making their decision. That's the big thing for me. It can't be based on just a headline or a news post. Um, and, you know, I think for my money, the decision is... Uh, admittedly made easier when the year is rather light in terms of Activision games I'm interested in and heavy in games that are not made by them that I'm very interested in. And so I recognize my own kind of bias and standard there as well. But uh, nonetheless, my heart goes out to anyone that is affected by that type of toxicity. Um, 
I don't have any good advice that doesn't sound uh, reductive. Of, you know, when I say like keep your head up and whatnot, just know that our hearts are with you, um, and that on XCP you will find a, a safe and shared space. And any XCP listener that's you know afraid of the idea of equality and, and fair treatment, uh, you're dismissed. You need not be here. You don't need to be here. This is a place for everybody. Uh, just be respectful, kind, and educated. That's the, kind of the goal of XCP. Uh, separate from Activision, Psychonauts 2 has gone gold. That's exciting, right? And Game Pass has several games that are uh, coming out this month across the span of August. Game Pass is looking pretty darn sweet, all things considered. Games like Hades uh, are coming out. That's really, really exciting. That game is supposed to be great. Curse of the Dead Gods is now out uh, over on Game Pass. Lemnisgate was supposed to be out this month. That's one I'm looking forward to, but that got bumped into September. Uh, EA Play is adding games like Skate and Skate 3. Really cool. Art of Rally has been added in. A lot of people tell, say good things about Art of Rally. I've never played it nor heard of it uh, outside of like passing comments, right? So to see it on a list and people be excited about it is kind of cool. Uh, the aforementioned Hades is there. Uh, and need not forget that we just got games like Microsoft Flight Simulator as well. And that's really cool. 12 Minutes is set to release this this uh, month as well. Uh, a lot of cool stuff happening with Game Pass. Even the Sniper Elite 4 uh, is getting its Xbox Series S and X update. Zombie Army 4, two games that I, I love. Sniper Elite and Zombie Army 4, they're basically the same game, one with zombies, one without. But Zombie Army 4 is getting a Left 4 Dead 2 character pack. Uh, and those characters are in every single zombie game uh, except... <laughs> except for Back for Blood, right? Um, but it's cool to see that happening. I just, it, In general, there's a lot of cool stuff happening with Game Pass. And I don't know, I just wanted to end this topic on another cheers to Game Pass. Man, you're nailing it. You're nailing it. Uh, a couple games are leaving Game Pass. Uh, as of the time of this recording, you will find that Grand Theft Auto V is no longer there, nor is Darksiders Genesis and Final Fantasy VII, as well as a few others. Uh, Darksiders Genesis, man, that game, I love, love that game. I absolutely love it. Uh, recently, Darksiders 3 went into games with gold. Uh, that was an August game, and that's the game that helped me set to play kind of like those Souls-like games. There is combat if you choose to play it that way. You can play it like a Souls-like game. It helped me a lot with that, and that helped me understand Jedi Fallen Order. And then Darksiders 3, double A to the core, mind you, got me into the Darksiders franchise and playing Genesis and playing Darksiders 1. It wasn't much for Darksiders 2, but it was neat. It was neat to see that happen, and I'm uh, happy with that for sure. So if you, if you haven't had a chance... To, Games with Gold actually looked kind of good this month, and that's a weird thing to say. There's a really cool fighting game uh, that take, that is uh, on the Xbox 360 as well as Lost Planet 3 for Xbox 360. And then, of course, Darksiders 3 is, is highly regarded as well. Um, can't remember the fourth game. I know it's good, but I feel like I already have it from one way or another. Anywho, all right, let's get to some listener mail. Some fun questions this week from some of my favorite people. Mr. Captain Logan writes in, and he says, Everyone talks about Battle Royale for Halo, yet no one can get past using vehicles and drop pods. Most BR games have progressively better weapons and gear the longer you last and the bodies you loot. Can you come up with a way for Halo Infinite to follow that design? Now, before I answer, Shiny Rayquaza responded to Captain Logan's question, and he said, not to mention how OP long-range weapons like the Sniper would be because they don't account for bullet travel or gravity. Uh, Man, that's some good talking points there, Logan. I do not necessarily think that it would be a problem 
as far as the better weapons category goes. In Halo 5, you have augmented weapons that you can choose for, for Warzone that will do like different types of damage, Promethean damage, silence damage, close range, far range. Um, I'm sure we could get that system applied in Halo Infinite one way or the other. Um, and the reason that you get progressively better weapons uh, as you go through is that the best people um, are, are getting killed and... and or sorry, the best people are, are surviving and gear is left over that they don't need, and then that's kind of how that takes place. But I absolutely can see a world where you drop in on a ring on an ODST pod and you are able to have access to different types of power weapons throughout the map. They would control that by way of ammo and ammo supplies to make sure that you're not just rolling through with a sniper rifle the whole time. That said, uh, it wouldn't be Halo and Halo Battle Royale if there, was, if there wasn't uh, power weapon advantages and as far as like neutralizing certain types of power weapons you do that with map design right no super open areas uh, that people can pick you off um, all over the map like a few here and there but you do that with level design to make sure you also have a number of abilities and different types of teleporters or uh, methods of, of mobility around the map that can augment your experience fortnite's done it really well and really terribly with its various seasons throughout. But uh, I maintain that there is a, a comfortable way for Halo Infinite to create a Battle Royale environment that is true to Halo and still true to Battle Royale. Um, and if it's not fun, we won't play it and we'll move right along. But I like the idea that it's a possibility that could exist uh, either from player-created stuff in Forge or uh, a more proper mode. I know that Halo Infinite is set to survive... Uh, in a couple of different realms, and it's one of the few games that has to have a good campaign. It's got to have good online competitive multiplayer, good PvE, and good PvP. You have to have all of that, whereas, like, you know, with Battlefield Five, not a concern. Not a concern. Uh, I, I think you can get a good a good battle royale out of that. I'm not. My concerns about the power weapons are not. At the moment, they're not really there. I'm all for them creating a battle royale for sure. Um, similarly, in the Halo Infinite category, Mr. Todd Oxtra asked, uh, he says, is Xbox only waiting for Call of, the Call of Duty release date to finally talk about the Halo Infinite campaign and release date? It seems like the, that is... It seems like that has the most question marks, but we haven't seen gameplay in more than 14 months. It just seems odd. Todd, a couple things here. It does seem odd that we don't have a release date element yet. With Battlefield having a confirmed release date, which is relevant due to the fact that it's a, a new release shooter and it's a marketing partner for Xbox, you'd think Infinite would just kind of go and, and tell us its release date. Um, I wonder the same thing myself. The COD part is interesting because everything I am hearing is that Call of Duty is a bit of a mess right now. And I don't mean that the game is bad, but remember that this is the studio transition. They, they shifted the release dates for this game, which studio was working on what, which game for 2020, 2021, 2022. They moved that stuff around. There's a bit of turmoil. We've seen nothing about Call of Duty at all at this point. At the time of this recording, early August, we've seen nothing for Call of Duty 2021. And the game should be launching in the next few months. And that is eyebrow raising. It's not the same type of concern that it might have been five years ago, thanks to Warzone. But it is definitely interesting and concerning. The the more relevant to your question, though, is, you know, why haven't we seen anything from the Halo campaign? The technical preview, the beta, and the most recent showcases were about engaging a different type of audience than the one that's going to be 
pixel pixel counting and, and sharing competitive experiences. The campaign people for Halo Infinite are not... Uh, they're not... Um, how do I word this properly? They're not necessarily of the same mindset that a lot of the people that are in Halo 4 multiplayer are. Uh, think about Ainsley Bowden from last week. Ains, good friend of mine, a friend of the show, loves Halo, is going to play through that campaign a couple times, probably with me at one point, uh, vice versa. But Halo, for him, is a more about a multiplayer experience, whereas for me, it's more about the lore and story. We both play both. Um, I think... The people that are in for Halo's story are already in. They were sold on the idea of just seeing a new Halo game. But Halo multiplayer, where the legs of this game are coming in, and the fact that this game is going to be free-to-play multiplayer, and they're going to have to engage people with, with battle passes and uh, other forms of, of like financial transaction. I don't even know if microtransaction is the right word. right? Like I don't know if that's the right word because we haven't fully seen that model. I would assume it's the right word. Um, but they are doing a lot of really good and progressive things with the way they're letting you know full-time battle passes. You never lose content kind of thing. Similar to Master Chief Collection, which is astoundingly good if you're interested in Halo. Um, so I think that's why it's the right time to be showing multiplayer. You don't need to show much more of that campaign, really and truly. Maybe you show a similar demo to, to what you had before, similar in terms of story. But that way people can compare it and, and kind of have the best there. But the best time to show the Halo Infinite campaign story is within a month of that release date, and not before. We don't need any more story stuff before. It's Story stuff is already out there for those that are interested. Like, if you read the books, if you uh, check in on stuff they've already said about the game that's public. I don't mean the leaked stuff, but the public things. Um, that's, that's why I think it's fine that they're not showing some of that story. I don't think they need to show that story for a while. I recognize your question and I recognize the validity and I do agree that it is a little odd, but more and more they need to sell the, the multiplayer. They need to sell this game to the people that might spend their money elsewhere, might spend their money for Call of Duty or time in Battlefield, time in Destiny, time in Fortnite. All of that is where they need to be pulling people from. The campaign people, they're already in. They're already in. So I think that's kind of the nature of it. And keep in mind, Todd, Game Pass is a major player in this. Uh, and it's a new player for us. So as we evaluate and analyze these releases, Game Pass changes the conversation in ways that we're not quite ready for. So I hope it answered your question, man. Um, my impression is that you're not overly high on Halo, and I appreciate that. I'm absolutely cool with that, and I appreciate you kind of holding me accountable and being critical of it, my friend. The next question comes from Mr. Famous Seamus himself. He says, which game setting would you like to have a vacation in? Uh, Famous Seamus, if I am not going to be uh, scrutinized by the world's hazards, then absolutely Sea of Thieves. No more beautiful sunsets could possibly occur than in the game Sea of Thieves. It's just astounding how beautiful that game is. Uh, get some fruit, have a little Caribbean uh, traversal there, maybe meet Jack Sparrow, that kind of thing. I think I would really enjoy uh, Sea of Thieves. Moreover, in Sea of Thieves, if you get killed, you don't actually die. You're able to respawn thanks to the ferryman who keeps you alive. For all my lore nuts, he keeps you from going to the land of the dead. So that's my answer there, Famous Seamus. Edward Varnell writes in, he says, As more Xbox Series X and S's become available, do you see an increase in game sales or an increase in Game Pass participation? Uh, both. Both, Edward. Both. I don't think you see one more than the other. 
uh, for sure. Uh, Edward's question continues. He said, one of the reasons I ask is that since a lot of these systems are becoming easier to obtain, I haven't seen an increase in game sales. I'm excluding Nintendo at the moment. I would love to see Scarlet Nexus get a bump, for example. Well, that's an interesting point there. Edward, I'd, I'm curious to know your sources. I'm thinking you're probably looking at Benji sales and a few others. Um, as far as hardware versus a bump, I'm not expecting you to see that happen because everything that Xbox is doing right now is cross-gen. Uh, and that is to say you can have a lot of these game experiences on an Xbox One, right? And right now they're growing their ecosystem by way of Game Pass, so I'm not expecting you to see major jumps in sales for games that are available on Xbox One or PS4. I just don't think that's a realistic thing to happen. Same with PlayStation 5. Like You could apply this logic to the PS5 uh, for now in terms of like sales versus next-gen systems. There's simply not a lot happening for PS5 and Xbox Series X exclusive games. PS5 has Returnal and Ratchet and & Clank. Xbox has the Falconeer and the Medium, right? And both of those games are going over to PlayStation uh, as well now. So I don't think that's really a one-to-one or a good comparison, even though I want it to be, because, like, with you, do I feel, like, the same way? Like, I would love to see that, but I don't think it works that way anymore thanks to cross-gen. Yeah, I think that's kind of what negates our ability to understand this particular question. Or, sorry, this particular, like, data. Um, And as far as games like Scarlet Nexus getting a bump, I that's interesting. I don't think Xbox was ever the place for Scarlet Nexus to get that kind of a bump just by way of its fan base. Now, I want more Scarlet Nexus-looking games, and I and I know the J, it's not a JRPG per se, but Japanese or Eastern-influenced, if that's politically correct or colloquially okay to say, Eastern-influenced visual games, I think, have a place on Xbox, and that's a growing place, thanks to a lot of their efforts with Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts, uh, but it's, it's a consistent difficulty for the Xbox crowd, and they're doing a lot of things right, um, and st- but that Japan conundrum is still a major one for sure um you're excluding nintendo for the moment i'm thinking about that that comment um nintendo's weird man nintendo's real weird because they are just selling like hotcakes every which way and i know you're a a big nintendo fan yourself and i don't think i've faltered in sharing how frustrated with nintendo i get um but they simply seem to be on a different playing field in fact if i had the ability i would remove nintendo from the conversation often because they seem to be an entity unto themselves. They operate on their own system of, param- of parameters for success, their own sales markers. They've made decisions that baffle my mind and that are rewarded. And I think it's simply because they're not they're not marketing to people our age, Edward. They're not for us. They're strictly for kids. And like all things for kids, there is a way for, for people our age to enjoy them, right? Like we can go turn on Shrek and have a good time. We can go watch uh, the latest... Jungle Cruise movie, right? Jungle Cruise is a good example, but it's still for kids, and I think that's kind of the game that we play, all right? That's kind of the way we go through it. Maybe I'm off on that. I know several of you uh, that listen are multi-platform people. I consider myself multi-platform, but it's more of a PlayStation and Xbox thing as opposed to a Nintendo PlayStation and Xbox thing. I miss my Switch. I'm looking at it right now, but I have no reason to turn it on. It's a weird, it's a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling. All right. That's going to do it for my portion of this episode, and I'm going to be sending you guys to what I would argue is one of the most important conversations I've had. Jay Lynn steps in. Jay Lynn of the Games and Online Harassment Hotline. 
as well as Feminist Frequency, steps in to talk about their efforts working to essentially reduce toxicity throughout the gaming industry for both the developers and the gamers. And that is a tough thing to do. And I put Jay on the spot with some of these questions. I get a little bit choked up at various points. I get very reflective of my own behaviors in years past. Um, on the scale of what what harassment or toxicity could mean because it's such a, a difficult thing to interpret. So you'll hear me struggle just a bit. And I would argue that this is a... This is an interview that could be a bit evergreen, so if you're not ready to hear it, that's fine. But do please put it in your back pocket for later um, and give it, a, give it time when you are ready to hear it because I think there's some important stuff discussed there. And I pushed back on Jay a few times in terms of agreements on stuff, um, and I was continuously educated, which I appreciated uh, from Jay as well. That's it for this portion of the episode. Um, if you are so inclined, please do share this episode with other people. Share the YouTube if you're able to do so. Uh, I'm struggling, I guess you would say, to, to gain new audience. It's, it's plateaued in a very comfortable way. I'm very proud of where it is. I'm really happy with the guests that I've been getting and the people I've been talking to. But growth can be stagnant at some points, and I would appreciate uh, – appropriate fair suggestions if you have them i would appreciate your willingness to support by way of itunes reviews retweets sharing to the people that you think would be relevant if you've got people that are in gaming communities that i'm not a part of that would be awesome too uh all right well all right let's call it there i also have a little treat for you guys as we approach 100 halo fans will look forward to it that's it for me enjoy this interview with jaylen take care everybody I am very fortunate now to welcome to XEP this week, Jay Lin, Programs Manager for the Games and Online Harassment Hotline. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Luke. I'm so excited to be here. I am ecstatic to have you on for a number of reasons. Our mutual friend, Asa Green River from Borderline Entertainment, yes. uh, put us in touch because August is a special month for you. Is that correct? Yeah, so uh, this is actually kind of our one-year birthday <laughs> month. Um, we we actually launched the Games and Online har Harassment Hotline back in August 2020. So we've now been doing it for a year, and we've oof, we've learned a lot. We've had a lot of conversations. I'm really excited to talk to you about it. I've got a lot of questions, and I'm ready to be educated uh, for sure. Before we get into specifically what the Games and Online Harassment Hotline does, you guys launched this in a pandemic year, and you're a mm -hmm. year out. That had to be a process in and of itself. Ooh, I mean, I probably don't have to tell your audience all the stuff that's been going on, but it, it has been a really tumultuous year, you know? And and it's not just 2020, especially for the games industry and, and gaming community spaces. I feel like it's it's been a few years of uh, more intense and um, I don't know changing times. Like in 2019, uh, I feel like that was the first time that the Me Too wave really hit the games industry. Right? Mm -hmm. um, we had some allegations against Riot come out, and then of course all of the different stories that women and other uh, people of marginalized genders came forward and told about these powerful people, these folks that a lot of us looked up to, um, who had really leveraged their power and position to 
sex a lot of times sexually harm and abuse people around them. And so that isn't necessarily new news to a lot of people. I, I think it has been mainstream knowledge that, you know, abuse and harassment have been prevalent in the games industry for a long time, I would say. Over this past decade, I feel like that's been pretty pretty known knowledge for a lot of folks. Um, but this was the first time that folks were really talking about it out loud. And so that's actually the the kind of crucible during which like the this idea for the um, to start a games hotline came out of. Um, and so, yeah, so that was 2019, right? And so we're, uh, Anita Sarkeesian, the executive director of Feminist Frequency, um, was like, all right, let's, let's do this. I'm hearing that folks are missing a place that they can just go when they're experiencing crisis or going through something really hard and talk to someone and be believed. Um, and so we really believe that that was like a really important kind of space to offer and as a first step to addressing these larger problems in the industry, right? So then, yes, of course, uh, from 2019 going into 2020, it took us about a year to set it all up. Um, and in 2020, the pandemic happened, right, which changed the way a lot of things looked. Um, it also changed kind of the mental health and online harassment landscape in a lot of ways, too. So going through all of that uh, and on top of the pandemic, of course, the like racial justice uprisings, the election, um, all of that was also coming up. So many different world events happening. Um, and so by the time that we launched in August of 2020, um, we definitely were anticipating holding space and offering support around a really wide variety of issues. So that's kind of what it was looking up leading up to the launch. I'm thinking so much about in and out of the United States, the different social movements, because quite by accident, you touched on several in just the introduction of the games and online harassment hotline. I mean, you mentioned the Me Too movement. Uh, there's certainly a lot of political strife that took place in the United States over the past few years. There's certainly been a lot of exposure onto different injustices for people of color and the LGBTQ plus people from uh, from any number of places, online, police force, different types of social movements, political uh, elements there. And I can tell you with confidence, unrelated to this specifically, I've gone through a number of things in the past few years where I've had to educate and re-educate myself on different vernacular being used, how to respect different voices, recognition of privilege. And amidst all of that, there's still more learning to be done from all of us. And uh, even quick notes of like, when I hear the words feminist frequency, I think about gaming movements from several years back, of which I'm not overly educated on. And I have to think that all of those different talking points leading to the uh, introduction of the games and online harassment hotline had to be tumultuous, exciting, and nerve-wracking as you guys launched, and then probably a bit of pride a year out since that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I think that is one of the things that sets us apart from other crisis text lines or suicide prevention like hotlines and stuff, which are. There, there are a number of them out there now, um, which is which is wonderful. Like the more resources, the better. But I think what really stands us apart is how intentional we've been mm -hmm. with starting from a place and grounding ourselves 
in the history and culture and context of the games community and the games industry. Uh, like you, like you said, uh, Feminist Frequency has been around for over a decade now. Um, it was our 12th birthday this year, uh, back in May. And it's, we, we have kind of a really unique, uh, Feminist Frequency, by the way, is the kind of parent organization of the Games Hotline. The Games mm-hmm. Hotline is kind of its own initiative under uh, Feminist Frequency. But yeah, Feminist Frequency as an organization who started this, um, you know, we have like a really deep knowledge and history and experience of what online harassment looks like in the game space and how we support each other in going through that, you know? And so we're pulling on a lot of that when we're starting the games industry, when we're, we're continuing to grow the games industry and responding to what people need. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really is grounded in all the things that we've, we've learned over the years. Cause like I said, this isn't, this isn't something new that the harassment and abuse that people are facing isn't something new. Um, mm-hmm. But we are kind of moving forward in both this, like really acknowledging and uh, leveraging that history and experience as well as responding in real time in the present to what people are reaching out about, what people are needing. And that is the mission of the Games and Online Harassment Hotline, right? To to be a resource for those who are, are suffering victim of of harassment, not necessarily to change the industry at a CEO level. Am I mm. correctly interpreting that? Yeah, yeah. We, we at our core, we are an emotional support resource for anyone who makes and plays games. So it actually, so we are talking a lot about harassment and abuse currently, but we, we also support folks through a lot of different other, uh, a, a lot of different other experiences. So um, for example, you know, someone going through uh, a community conflict um, or mental health struggles or dealing with stress uh, at their workplace or crunch, right? We know crunch Mm -hmm. is really notorious in the games industry. That is definitely something that folks talk about um, on the hotline. And this, of course, is all, um, all connected with that harassment, toxicity and abuse piece as well, right? Because when you're already going through crunch, and if you have kind of a hostile or misogynistic workplace, that compounds, right? And similarly, we know that folks play games a lot of the times for that social and community element, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're playing games you and you might experience harassment, sometimes that is connected to your relationships, to your community, to your friendships, um, and to your general kind of like social landscape. So it is all like... It is all a big, a big web kind of tied together. And what we really want is to hold all of that whole experience. Um, and we, we hope that the by creating a space like this that is really specific to the community, folks don't feel like they have to, to piece and separate themselves out of, oh, this is the gamer part of me and mm-hmm. this is the the worker part of me and this is you know some other mental health struggle part of me we really want to be able to hold folks as a whole person some of the verbiage you're using suggests that the hotline is often used by developers or people that are working in the gaming uh, industry not just users or gamers or players am i correct in interpreting that 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so the the way we the simple way we say it is that we're an emotional support resource for anyone who makes or plays games, right? Mm. So um, we kind of see like we, we kind of think of it in three buckets of folks that we we really wanted to reach out to when we first launched and continue to try to like uh, spread spread the word about our resource for it. And so that of course is gamers, right? Folks mm. who play games, gaming communities. Um, but from every level, right, casual, competitive, uh, professional, all of that. Um, and then you're right, the game developer and game worker. So anyone who works in the games industry, you know, not everyone might identify as a developer. We know the industry is huge and requires just a, just a huge kind of movie credits list of people to like make this stuff actually happen. And we are here for, for anyone Um, in that space. Um, And then the third bucket is kind of like content creators. So people like you, uh, people who uh, probably play games, probably are in the game space, might have some work in the game space as well, either professionally or as a hobby. Um, But folks who make content about games, so that's streamers, podcasters, journalists, uh, folks who make videos like YouTubers and stuff like that. all, all of that is also because that that position is slightly different um, than just being a gamer or just working in the industry. Um, and we know that content creators also face some of like some unique struggles on their own. So those are kind of the three buckets that we really make want to make sure we have context for and can hold space for. Man, there's a lot to unpack in all of that. When I hear the word harassment. I am immediately terrified because it is such an encompassing word from the smallest, uh, smallest, perhaps even unintentional slight all the way to systemic, habitual, awful things that can take Mm. place. And and particularly of late, we've seen a lot of that in the gaming community come to light. It's been around for far too long, but it's come to light. I would imagine that you guys deal with a wide breadth of, of severity. And is there an education process that you guys go through or that you put people who contact you through to let them know? I don't, this sounds so cold, but like where on the scale it lands. Mm. That's a very mm. tough thing to verbalize. And I apologize <laughs> if it sounds weird. I don't know how to. No, that. I, I think I, I think I know. I think I really feel what you're talking about. And, and that is such a, I don't know. I really like that reflection of, of the way you put it, um, even though it is it is. Yeah, it is hard to really describe succinctly. I actually think that, yes, it is true that harassment happens. You know, anything from someone telling you to kill yourself in a game or even someone just kind of making fun of you, maybe a little more lightly in a game or or trash talking you after you made a mistake or a loss or something like that. Mm. All the way to, yes, the escalated uh, stuff that might happen outside of games or in games or at the workplace of um, really escalated threats, actual violence and assault that we have seen happen um, and everything in between, right? And I actually, uh, so this is the big picture answer. I actually believe that it's all it's all connected. I see it almost kind of as a pyramid, you mm-hmm. know, with the really extreme stuff at the top, right? Like things involving death murder, rape, stuff like that. That's the kind of 
most extreme parts of that pyramid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the, in the middle, you have that kind of verbal harassment, you have the discrimination, you have the gatekeeping, um, and kind of bullying people out of spaces. And then at the bottom, you have the more like day-to-day microaggressions or, um, or, the, or that, yeah, kind of more verbal trash talking or uh, objectification of women and other gender marginalized folks, um, stuff like that, right? Am I painting mm-hmm. a, a picture? So yeah. I, think, I think it is it all, the stuff at the bottom makes the stuff at the top possible. Like it holds that up, you know? And so I think it really is one big, it's one picture together. And addressing harassment means addressing it at all of those levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the huge big picture answer. But in terms of like our training, um, so the the way that we train folks to take um, these texts, because we're, we're a text message-based hotline, mm-hmm. um, the folks answering the conversations on the hotline, um, we partnered with the center who had uh, a really strong and impressive history in suicide prevention and mental health uh, crisis intervention already. And we were really impressed by the work. We really felt like their values aligned with ours. And so we partnered with them to bring the games hotline into that center as well. And so we we take folks in their center who are already uh, trained and experienced in suicide prevention, mental health, crisis intervention, that type of thing, um, and we we give we give them an extra training from our side about the game spaces, the games industry. Uh, we teach them about online harassment and different ways to respond to all the different types of things that uh, you were you were talking about, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, everything from how to deal with like bullying among among friends, how to deal with like hostility in games, um, to how to deal with things like blackmail or uh, death threats um, and workplace abuse or workplace hostility. We cover all of that in our side of the training because that isn't necessarily something they get into as specific about for suicide prevention, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so with that kind of combination of, of skills and foundation, right? So they they are really solid on that counseling kind of aspect. And then with this added harassment and games culture context, um, we really, we, we, we hope that, that that is like a sol- really solid foundation for all those agents answering the conversations. And of course, as we are going, right, this was our first year, we've learned so much, we've developed more tools for the agents. And we are constantly like paying attention to what folks are texting in about what folks are really needing, and how we can better, like continue, continue to better have those conversations and be there for folks. When you say you, you've learned a lot, what are some of the things that you might mention that you've learned along the way? Yeah, yeah. Um, Not a fair question. such a big question, isn't it? <laughs> it is. There's, there's definitely so many things, big and small, that we've learned. I think um, one of the things that maybe shouldn't have surprised me, but definitely changed the way that I thought about harassment is the piece about how relational it is. And I've touched on this a little bit already, but 
I think when I when I first started thinking about harassment and was putting together, you know, the training and and all of that, I I think I still mostly thought of it as a very kind of not mysterious, but like a stranger is like doing something awful to you or the internet can sometimes just be an awful place. And these like cyber mobs are like totally just like jumping on you. Right. Like I think that was kind of more of what I had in my head in general, even though of course I was like adding all the different types of experiences that people have, including with people that they know. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I think I didn't really account for was how much gray area it is, right? It's not just either your disaffected ex who's out to get you or a total stranger on the internet who you have no idea who they are, right? There's so much gray area in between. And so when we started taking texts on the hotline, um, we, we, we talk a lot about friendships and community, um, and how and how that really really affects folks in their social and mental health lives, um, because like again, what what we come what we gather around around games and game making is a lot of times that community, right? Um, that's what brings folks together a lot, and so of course, experiencing this harassment isn't apart from that. Right. So maybe it's your friends who are who you're having conflict with and this harassment is showing up as a part of that. But the conflict is really core to talking about that experience. Right. Or even if it's not something that your community is doing to you, maybe you're experiencing harassment and your friend just watches it happen without saying anything, Mm -hmm. you know, or the community kind of picks up rumors and doesn't um, and doesn't really and, and you feel really unheard mm-hmm. and misunderstood in that you know stuff like that um, we started really hearing about and so yeah like that really shifted the way that I think about harassment as this is really about the way that we treat each other and and within the community and friendships that we have so that was definitely one big thing Another one um, that I didn't anticipate, something that really surprised me, was that we started getting texts from folks who have caused harassment or who have been accused of uh, sexual violence in a community or have been kicked out of a space, um, either a workplace or, or like a games community for... Um, for the way that they treated other people in that space, right? So they mm-hmm. started coming to us and asking for help. Um, also, like people who maybe have just like just raged out at someone, mm-hmm. and came to us to talk about like how much stress they're under and how ashamed they are of that of of the things that they just said and the way they just said it, you know. So that was really that was really a surprise for us. Um, and we took a moment when we first started getting these texts to kind of look at look at ourselves, look at our work and think, what do we want to do? Because we kind of initially envisioned this as a space for survivors, people who are being targeted by harassment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we decided that we we wanted to offer emotional support to these folks too, because they are part of the community, right? Again, this mm-hmm. is relational. This is about 
the way we treat each other. We also recognize that harassment and toxicity, it happens as an environment, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just certain people are more evil than others or they're possessed by like, you know, (laughs) evil, evil demons to just suddenly do this awful behavior. It is a part of this ecosystem where we see this, we see harassment happen. We experience it ourselves. It's modeled for us. Um, And there's not enough pushing back against it, saying that that's not okay and not acceptable. So it just happens. It it kind of just builds itself into this atmosphere. And so we don't think that that while individuals, of course, are responsible for their actions, we think that we are all responsible for that culture, right? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so we... we had to figure out how to have those conversations in a way that still felt survivor centered and accountable. For those that were contacting you who had been the aggressor, I suppose, Mm -hmm. in that situation, that opens up a lot of can of worms from the, the kind of that scale I was talking about Mm. the very, the very lightest sense of being misunderstood or thinking they were joking and it going too far by accident or not in appropriate places to those who are, are the most egregious, right? Mm-hmm. And I think about a lot of the racial progress that's been made and not been mm-hmm. made. Mm-hmm. And much of it came from lack of education and experience. Is that something that you all were seeing as well? People were just not educated at realizing the damage that they could cause or are they misunderstanding the situations they were in uh, mm-hmm. or to put it bluntly, were they just not good humans? <laughs> so tell, I mean, I'm running yeah. the gambit there. Well, the so to, to answer kind of like that last point of like, are some people just hopeless and awful people? Um, that we we decided we wanted to go in with the with the assumption mm-hmm. that um, every human has inherent dignity, right? Um, and, and also that people can change and it wouldn't matter if they did. That was a really important thing for us to, to root ourselves in, because I think when that kind of downward spiral can happen is when someone has messed up, they are reprimanded for it, right? They're facing some consequence for it, or maybe they're being publicly shamed or, or privately shamed, however however it's happening. And if they get to the point where they feel like it wouldn't matter if I did things better, it, like there's, there's no hope for me to change. And even if I change, no one would care because everyone thinks I'm a monster. Uh, then why would they, you know, like... That, that really, that can really spiral someone into that kind of like, well, nothing matters. So I'm just going to keep, keep doing this and not look at the harm that's happening around me. Right. Um, and so, verba- yeah, interrupt only to say that when I yes. hear you verbalize that, I think that is the nature at which a lot of people who might exhibit uh, racial aggression or gender-based mm. aggression, uh, that is what it is. They feel like, well, I'm already in this hole and I'm going to double down mm-hmm. to avoid the embarrassment of correction or the fear of being judged for, for not standing my ground or just because I'm embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that premise of everyone's got dignity and we want to give them dig like that, that premise starting point 
is probably one of, of great wisdom that you all are taking in that respect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, defensiveness and guilt and um, and that type of thing is so paralyzing, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of like you're saying, but like I feel like I've been dumped in this hole, and I don't, I don't know what to do. And it, it usually it's it's because it doesn't align with who they think of themselves as, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe I, I don't think of myself as a racist or a misogynist or a sexual predator or anything like that, mm-hmm. um, and so when the defensiveness comes up, right, it's more of a like, how dare you say that about me? That's not who I am. I don't, and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't want to mm-hmm. think about it. Stop saying that because that's not who I am. That's not how I see myself, right? Um, and I think, you know, to kind of answer more more of the other question that you were asking, um, folks come to us on the hotline at many different kind of places and stages of, of change. So we, we really, uh, in, in our training, when we decided that we do want to take these, these conversations and how are we going to do that, we, we talk about that. We talk about um, folks come to us at many different stages of change and many different stages of healing, right? Um, and we just need to meet them where they are. Right. It's going to be a different. So like to, to totally use a different metaphor, let's talk about smoking. Right. So mm-hmm. if someone comes to you and and you're like trying to have a conversation with them about like about smoking, um, it's going to be really different if they are like active, like smoking while they're talking to you. And it's like, well, that that one woman in, in France smoked a pack a day and she lived to be like 106, you know, like that's going to be a really different conversation than someone who is maybe like, ah, I feel like smoking isn't good for me in all of the, in like a different way, like financially and health wise, but I work like three jobs and I'm so stressed and like, I have all these other life stressors. Like I've tried a little bit to quit, but it just, I, I need it. Like I, I, it's not something that's really in the cards for me, right? Like that's mm-hmm. going to be a different conversation. And then someone who is coming to you as like, hey, I'm, I'm six months sober. I haven't smoked for six months, but I'm feeling urges again. And I don't know what to do. Uh, can't, how can you help? You know, mm-hmm. that's going to be a really different conversation too, right? So we, we want to hold all of that. But underneath all of it, right? Um, coming back to the games hotline, away from the metaphor, um, we see our role just as holding the door open for change, right? We don't. We know we're not going to transform someone over like a maybe like one hour conversation over text on the games hotline, right? And so we're not here to lecture people. We're not here to like investigate the situation and figure out the truth of what's happened. We're not here to this is a confidential space and uh, anonymous space. So uh, we're not here to like make a report or escalate this or take this anywhere outside of the conversation that it's happening in. Um, We are just here to hold that door open for change, wherever, however far away from that door they might be, you know? Um, And so that's what we see our role as. And we've really grounded the kind of strategies and techniques that we've developed um, in some of those base assumptions. One of the 
the pressures. Let me rephrase this. Because I, I'm, I'm, I struggle with wording on a lot of these things, I think, because I get mm. so emotionally invested myself. Mm. Is it difficult to be looked to as an authority on some of these things? I mean, we talked prior to recording and whatnot, and certainly with all the things going on in the industry, uh, it can be very easy for people to turn to a a place like feminist frequency or the games harassment hotline or a few other uh, equality and and industry advocate groups and say, what's the solution as -hmm. if there was a quick fix, Mm -hmm. quick fix. Is it difficult to be looked at as an authority on that when really it's a growth process? Yeah. I mean, it is, it is uh, difficult to be asked uh, for those easy answers if I, Luke, if I had easy answers to give, okay, if I could just give you like three things that if you just do, <laughs> it would fix it. I I would be handing that out on the street. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I would, that would just be the only thing I did all day. Um, but instead, yeah, like you said, it, it is because this is a cultural and systemic issue, it's going to take cultural and systemic change. Right. Um, and I think there's there's a good side and a bad side to that. Right. The the bad side is that that's huge and that takes a lot. And no one person or one entity like even us, like we, we can't do that on our own. But uh, the kind of good side of that is that it it is about it's about all of us. Right. In some ways, all we have is each other mm-hmm. and we it's it's up to us and how the and the ways that we Again, the ways that we, this is about the ways that we treat each other. And so we do have power to shift that kind of both on an individual level and on like kind of more, a higher like community group entity level, right? And so um, I think a really, a really big part of the work of the Games Hotline is making space for that shift, right? We hope that even just kind of by existing and, and talking about something like the games on a hotline harassment hotline, um, we hope that that makes it a little bit more okay to talk about, a little bit more okay to to say that like, hey, this exists because we don't think that harassment is okay. Mm-hmm. And we don't think that, and we think that mental health is important, right? Um, and through our direct kind of work, we hope that like, this gives us space for folks to practice reaching out for help, to um, practice vulnerability and talking deeply about scary things, right? Uh, things that are really feel dark or heavy um, to talk about um, with another person. Um, and also kind of modeling a different way to relate each other, right? That when someone comes to us and tells us something that they're going through, we meet them with kindness and understanding and validation that what they're experiencing is real and that they matter and they are worthy of healing, you know, no matter what they're going through. Um, worthy of healing, I yeah. think, is the most powerful, like, if, if you could clip something out, <laughs> that is such a powerful statement because I think a lot of people who suffer mental health issues forget that they're worthy of a lot of things. Yeah. A whole lot of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it is, it is such an, it's such an interesting thing 
uh, that mental health does to us, right? It's it's yeah. not a universal experience, but it is a very, it's a lot of these experiences are really common. A lot of people, so many people go through feeling um, all of these different ways um, about, about themselves, about their experiences, about their lives, about, um, about healing. And yet, it, it somehow makes us feel just so alone and so isolated. Yeah. The fact that isolation is a common experience is kind of, it feels almost like a joke <laughs> that mm-hmm. the universe is playing on us. Um, and so, again, if all we have is each other, then one of the most important things that we can offer is that sense of connection, that sense that none of us are doing this alone, Um and that no matter what, you have a space where you can come and feel centered and held and cared for. The self-imposed isolation part is one that I very strongly identify with because uh, I'm sure somewhere on uh, on this scale, I have been the aggressor and mm. I've definitely been the victim at various points because mm. of poor verbiage, lack of education, simply being young. And needing experience to recognize where I'm coming from versus what others are going through. And there is a guilt that does come with some of those mistakes. And that self-imposed isolation that I I tended to put in is something that I would urge any listener to not do and take advantage of these types of resources because growth is, is, is important and exposure sometimes is needed. Plants grow in the sun. You can't be in the dark the whole time. Um, yeah, yeah. One of the ways I've I've really liked um, he- hearing uh, folks talk about loneliness is that it can be it can be a different there there there's a difference. There's like two kind of separate experiences of being alone and feeling alone, because you could be surrounded by so many people and still still feel incredibly isolated, right? And so Ooh. these. These are and and that's and that's valid. That is okay to feel, um, but r- remember that none of us none of us are really alone. And they, what what is gonna heal that feeling is connection. So we're we're hoping that the games hotline is is one of many possible avenues um, to find that, and maybe we're a starting place. Uh, so many people actually text in just to try reaching out. Some folks text in and say, hey, I'm feeling kind of bad. I'm being very general because, of course, I'm, I'm not going to share any like confidential conversations. But like, hey, I'm like, I'm feeling some sort of way. And then we, we pick up and we text back, hey, what's going on? Um, and then they might say, actually, I'm not ready to talk yet. Um, and we totally welcome that. Some people, some people don't even share that much. Some people just say, I just wanted to try what it would be like to reach out. I just wanted to try reaching it out that's or check out, check out what this hotline's about, you know? Um, and that's we a think good step to yeah, that we, we consider that a huge success um, on our, on, on our side. So totally welcome. Um, I think it, it is, it is incredibly brave to reach out for help when you need it. When because I work in middle school, mm-hmm. there are something that a lot of young people are put through uh, just because their parents are from a different generation or because mm-hmm. they have different views politically or, or uh, socially or whatnot. We have a lot of kids who 
fall into the LGBTQ plus category or who are at an age where they're finding themselves and they're not sure and pronouns are, mm. are, are new. And all the more interesting is watching the adults try to react around that, particularly those who are older, um, because they've had 30, 40, 50 years of using certain verbiage and language, and then they're trying to correct that. And it can be very difficult and a struggle. Um, and you can apply this to multiple conversations outside of that as well. I'm curious what you would, would say or, or, or what the position might be. Where is the line of sensitivity? There, there must be a line of at certain points, you must put up shields and buck up and plow your way through. By the same token, that is such a finicky line because if you just do that, then you're not addressing your feelings and hearing yourself and you will indeed feel alone as well as be alone at a certain point where mm. where is that line um do you mean oh, on like which side let me let me re i'll try okay. to reword because Thank it you. is a it is a struggle uh to emote there is a certain point that we as people to make it through the world just have to be able to get through negativity um. toxicity and frustration and that line seems to be elusive and constantly moving, at least for me, because mm. I feel everything that I go through. And I know many of my, my students do, my friends do. Similarly, you can't shut down your entire life because somebody is mean or racist or sexist or doesn't understand struggle or their privilege. That was kind of where I was going with that. Where does I that see. line exist? I see. Yeah. Um, this, yes, this, this definitely... I hear echoes of this question in a lot of the rhetoric that we use to talk about harassment sometimes around like, yeah, toughen up or like get tougher skin or maybe someone who has experienced a lot of harassment says like, oh, well, I just don't let it bother me anymore. Um, I think all of those reactions are really, really understandable and and so human, right? Um, because, you know, you, you deserve to feel safe. We all deserve to feel peace. Um, and sometimes the way to find that is kind of putting on that armor mm -hmm. and kind of gritting our way through, right? Mm -hmm. um, the way that I actually talk about it with, especially with young people, um, I've talked to a few, like outside of the hotline sometimes, um, you know, up and coming, like especially like marginalized developers might uh, ask the hotline to come in and speak and talk about harassment if it's something that they're they're worried about going into their careers. Um, and so the way I actually like to talk about it is reframing it away from survival and armor and tough skin. Um, and instead talking about um, the innate resilience that we have in all of us. Um, I think pushing pushing things away, gritting through it, and just like kind of ugh, shouldering it and just moving forward because your life, right, like you said, has to keep happening. I think that is a really common response and a really understandable response. And honestly, I don't know that it's entirely avoidable. Mm -hmm. But um, that also tend, like what we've seen from talking to folks who have experienced harassment for a really long time is that down the line, what what you um, what you resist persists, right? Like the feelings that you push down, the the kind of humanity and vulnerability and pain 
that you deny yourself in those moments of minimizing of like, it's not that bad. I can get through it. I've been through worse. That stays with you. It doesn't actually go away. Um, And so I actually think it's really important to feel the pain that we're experiencing, to really feel it, to acknowledge it. Um, And, but of course that's not easy. Right. And so how do we actually, so how do we actually feel and honor the realities of our experiences without also depleting ourselves, right? And like, just like kind of burning ourselves to the ground. Um, I think that is about that kind of innate resilience, right? And so what do I mean by resilience? I mean, tapping into that feeling of aliveness, because that is actually what makes, that restores our sense of self, restores our, um, our feeling that we have agency and that we are a whole person. Um, four kind of main pillars of resilience are hope and possibility, love, creativity, and, uh, oh, I forgot the last one. Oh no. (laughs) I never forget it. Hope and possibility, love, creativity. How am I blinking on this? Can I... Can I I'm looking. I'm Googling. Restart. I'm Googling. Oh my god. Bing gosh. didn't help me at all. <laughs> um, no, I have this in a presentation. I'm sorry. Look it up. That's cool. Yeah, I'm pulling it up. While so you're gl- looking so it up, glad this isn't live. <laughs> you're good. You're good. While you're looking it up, I will say that uh, this is a, an astoundingly emotional journey. And I'm hoping that listeners mm. are with us on that exact yeah, journey because reflection is so key and that's something mm-hmm. that i really want everyone listening to hear is that reflection and growth are are, are everything and the games industry is no different than life in that respect and mm-hmm. that we have to look back at mistakes we've made we also mm-hmm. have to try and build and grow from that and not be trapped by that and this is advice yeah. that i myself often have to try and rem- try to take myself and it's far easier said than done but um that's just something I really want everyone that's hearing this to keep in mind, whether it's the old Xbox live message type (laughs) stuff or to, to downright just verbiage you use with your friends and coworkers. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's yeah. Yes. I've looked it up. I found it. What do you got? What do you Um, got? It's, and I missed my, it's my favorite one that I forgot. Um, So the, the four kind of main pillars of resilience are hope and possibility love, awe, and creativity. And so if we make space for ourselves to sit with each of those, what makes me feel hope and possibility? What makes me feel awe? What makes me feel creativity? What makes me feel love? You know, and really like tap into like, what, what, what are the times that those are brought up? You know, is it being in nature? Is it cuddling with my cats? You know, anything big or small? Um, that taps into those things and then figuring out ways that we can consistently engage in that. And I think that is actually going to do so much more for your resilience. It's going to help you move through experiences of pain, um, especially in the long run, a lot more holistically um, and in a way that really honors what you're going through. Gotcha. Oh man. I have used uh, plenty of your time on this afternoon, but I think uh, as we ventured away from the games online, games and online harassment hotline, and we got into these really heavy topics. I, I want to bring us back to close out um, 
and give you a chance to say anything you would like to to those who might need the games and online harassment hotline as a resource or to those who might want to look for it as a starting point for healing uh, mm-hmm. in any way, shape or form and plug anything that, that might be relevant or needed that we may not have covered. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're someone who is in a community space um, or is interested in like cultivating like games spaces that are, uh, healthier, that are anti-harassment, and that are part of this cultural shift that we've been talking about, um, I really recommend putting the Games and Online Harassment Hotline in any kind of like resource list, um, or just kind of talking about it and sharing it and, and letting folks in your space know that something like this exists. Um, even if they don't need it today, you never know when someone needs it in the future. And it's a really wonderful uh, way to kind of start that conversation or maybe start it again. Um, And it's a way to signal to your community that um, harassment isn't welcome here and that this is somewhere that like we are invested in in changing the ways that we treat each other and what's acceptable. Um, If you ever want to connect with us, uh, you can text us from anywhere in the United States. Uh, You just text the word support to 23368. And you can text any time of day, any day of the week. We're open seven days a week. We're online every day from 3 to 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, And so that's when we'll text back. But you can text in any time and we'll we'll be here for you. We'll get back to you within a day. Um, Yeah. And if you are interested in our work, uh, we also we also put out a lot of resources, a lot of the stuff that we we think about and talk about on the hotline, right? We develop so many tools and have so many conversations around mental health and harassment and abuse and toxicity. And we want to share that with the public too, right? We don't want to keep that just for ourselves and the people who text into the hotline. Um, so we put out a lot of resources. We talk about this stuff um, on social media and on our website. So you can find that. Um, at Games Hotline on social medias everywhere, and then um, www.gameshotline.org is our kind of little home. So yeah, I think that covers everything. Jalen, Programs Manager for the Games and Harassment Hotline, uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for this conversation, Luke. (laughs) 